Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 30 of the Social Fishing Podcast. This episode is with Colby Lesko. He is an absolute legend when it comes to targeting. Well, pretty much all species he even fishes for. He knows what he's doing. He fishes salt. He fishes fresh. But one of his favorite fish to catch is Murray Cod, and he knows how to catch them, and that's big ones at that. He has caught plenty of meter-plus cod in his time, and this is a cracker of an episode. I've been wanting to get Colby on for some time, and he's going to be talking all about chasing big cod. And I know over the recent few episodes, We've had quite a few anglers on and we've been talking about Murray Cod and targeting Big Cod and this is just another one but you'll learn so much different stuff in this one compared to the others. So Colby has a different approach to other anglers and he shares so much cool stuff in this episode but if you do want to see a variety and stuff coming up, there will be plenty of content coming up on all sorts of different fish and different tactics and things like that but this one here was really special and because I had Colby on, I did just want to talk about big cod because big cod can be one of the hardest fish to catch. So they were the questions I hit him with and we got some really good answers and we got talking about some really cool topics. So what we talk about is big cod and, and in particular targeting big fish on the Murray River and also Colby shares quite a bit on Copeton Dam. So we start off the episode, we talk a little bit about Colby's background and we talk about we talk about um, a few tips for chasing big cod and then Colby runs through me through what a trip looks like for him when he's heading out for a day on the Murray River, especially in winter. So he runs me through what he looks for, what, like what kind of water he's going to fish, time of day, the morning, what he'll do in the morning and his process throughout the whole day and the few lures he will use. So that's a really good part of the episode. And then I asked Colby how he would prepare to fish a new impoundment, a new dam. If he's going somewhere he's never fished before, this will help you guys if you're going to fish a new lake as well and then we get right in depth about talking about fishing in dams especially the bait in dams Colby runs through all the different types of bait that cod chase in impoundments all the different bait fish you will find so these are your, your carp and your trout and your redfin and all the rest of them we run right through that Colby then touches on his top lures for dams uh, his three favorite locations to target trophy fish and a few of his most memorable catches and we finish up with Colby's secret to success now it's a cracker of an episode and it's a very special episode because one, we've got a legend on, we're talking to Colby, but two, what I want to talk to you about now before we get into this episode is the news about our new launch, our new project that is coming soon. It is not far away. Now, before that, before I talk about that, we actually have a special premiere event coming up in two weeks' time. Now, this is a digital event, it's online, and it is it is a premiere event on the three principles to fishing success with myself, Chris, and Talis. Now, we've, we sit down and we will go over these three principles that all successful anglers use 
to consistently catch fish. It's what we use where we fish. It's what someone like Colby would use, you know, where he fishes. And it's something that I've learned and sort of come across and put together in these three principles. I've, I've extracted it from all the people I've talked to over the years and from myself and all the people I fish with. And if you can get these three things right, you'll have just as much consistent success as these other anglers. Now, it's a one-time only event. It's a one-hour training session. The three principles to fishing success, the three of us sit down online and it's only available to watch on Wednesday the 25th of March at 7.30 p.m. Australian Daylight Savings Time. So, in two weeks' time, on Wednesday night, the 25th of March, it will go live. Now, to find out and to be, be available to watch this, you need to sign up to our email list. Put a link in the show notes on our website. Uh, there'll be a link on the top of our website as well that will link you to this premiere event. You click on that, you sign up, put your email address in, and then it will notify you and send you the link when it becomes live on Wednesday, the 25th of March. So, make sure you keep that night free. It's a weeknight, 7.30 Keep that time free. Wednesday, the 25th of March, we have this premiere event. So one, you've got an hour. Well, there's a couple of things. That's this whole hour, we're going to talk about these three principles to success. And I'm super excited to share this with you. There's so much content in this. And then we will also be talking about our new project that is coming out. This new project I've been talking about for some time. We will announce what that is going to be during this premiere event. So there's a couple of things happening in it. Make sure you check it out. And it's only available at that time, Wednesday, the 25th of March at 7.30 p.m. So make sure you get on and check it out. It's only one hour. But if you love listening to these podcasts, this podcast goes for longer than that you're going to get so much out of that as well. So, I'm really excited to bring this to you. We're going to just explain to you what successful anglers do to consistently catch fish. And I really hope to see you there at Wednesday, the 25th of March at 7.30 p.m. We've got some exciting things coming and I can't wait to share it with you guys. So, that's enough from me. So, without further ado, let's jump into this awesome episode with the legend, the man himself, Colby Lesko, and let's talk about chasing Big Murray Cod and tips for the Murray River and Copeton Dam. Welcome back to the Social Fishing Podcast, guys. I am with Colby. Colby, mate, thanks for joining me. No, thanks for having me on, mate. We're going to talk heaps about fishing. I've wanted to have you on for quite some time, and I know you're a really, really busy bloke, so I'm glad I locked you in for this episode. Now, mate, I know you fish a whole heap. Before we get in and talk about your past and how the passion started for fishing, if, if anyone doesn't know you, I don't know anyone who fishes as much as you, if if I was to hang out with you for a whole week, what would a week like be like hanging out with you? Like, what would we do? What's a standard week for you? Because I'm pretty sure it'd be very different to what the rest of us are used to living. You know, going to work, nine to five job. What do you do with your week, and what would it be like? Yeah, yeah, it's a fair bit different to everybody else's week. Um, over the last couple of years, I've spent majority of my time working um, as a fishing guide or a relief skipper on other charter boats. So. Um, even when I'm at work, I'm still fishing, which is awesome. And then, um, yeah, I might do that for a couple of weeks straight, sometimes even a month straight. And then I've got time off to fish myself. So, so then I might even fish for a whole week on my own or two weeks on my own just fishing myself before I go back to work. So it depends what week you're on, but um, either way to be fishing. That's insane. So it's just it's just a life efficient. And you never get sick of it. You're obviously that passionate about it that it's just every trip you just love being out there. Yeah, yeah, I just love it. Um, yeah, I haven't got sick of it yet. 
Occasionally, uh-huh. occasionally I get a bit homesick when I'm away for a long time. Just like seeing my friends and family. But um, yeah, no, I never get sick of fishing. I could just do it every day of the year, I reckon. Yeah, nice. And what are the guides? You, you, there's two that you that you work for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've done a fair bit of work for um, Nomad Sports Fishing um, up or in the Coral Sea, up on Cape York, and then I've done a fair bit for Salty Dog Charters down in Port Ferry, down south here in Victoria. And it's both awesome. You get a mix of both worlds, and yeah, it's they're both really good businesses, and I enjoy it. That's what I was gonna say. You got the the a mix of both. Like you got the best of both worlds. You're fishing for like what kind of species do you get your clients onto up north? Like uh, with Nomad, it's mainly GTs and dogtooth tuna. They're probably the two most sought after species that we try and target yep. a lot. But then there's just a whole range of reef species and Spanish mackerel and other pelagics that you get as well. It's really good. Massive. That's insane. Massive mixed bag. And then down south, um, with salty dog, it's mainly bluefin tuna. We get school fish and we get the big barrels up to 160 kilos and um, we also get kingfish over summer, a lot of snapper and it's a bit of a mixed bag down there as well. Yeah, nice, nice. So, but let's let's talk about fishing for you. How, how did the passion for fishing start? Where did it all start for you? Where did you grow up and where are you based? Just give us a bit of an info about you. Well, I grew up um, on the outskirts of Melbourne at Backus Marsh. Um, I was lucky enough that Backus Marsh does have two rivers running through it. And when I was really young, they um, did have trout and redfin in them and the carp was slowly taken over now and now they're pretty much just carp fisheries. But um, yeah, my, my how I started fishing was probably my old man introduced it to me. Our family holiday had kind of always, at the end of the year, it'd be based around fishing and fishing in the Upper Murray and um, yep. would go up there and stay for a week or two up at the Upper Murray and my old man would just fish every day and then ever since I was old enough to kind of walk and keep up with him and fish with him with a rod i'd go with him as well and yeah it was mainly just stream fishing for trout back then and it slowly kind of grew into a few other things that do a little bit of cod fishing as well and yeah that's where it all started so the uh, question i like to ask everyone is like what aspect is there is there a key aspect to fishing that you reckon you can pinpoint which is why you love it so much and why you're addicted to it or, or you couldn't put your finger on a specific part of fishing yeah, I, I don't know. I really love the outdoors and it's just about getting out there, seeing Australia and getting out there in the outdoors and, you know, seeing all these beautiful things you get to see while we're fishing. But then at the same time, I don't know, there's just that rush when you've got a fish on your line. It's like the adrenaline's flowing and, yeah, I don't know why we get it, but we just do and it's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So it, I know what you mean. The adrenaline is incredible, and I reckon it's why we all we all love it so much. Especially those who fish. Well, I guess salt and fresh are similar, but when you go through those days and days of catching nothing, it's obviously that rush of adrenaline you're going to get when one finally grabs on. A eh? that's that's what keeps us pushing through. Yeah, yeah, that's why cod fishing so good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we're going to talk a bit about cod fishing later on in the episode. That's going to be our main topic. Now, so that's how you grew up with fishing. You do it all the time. You do it now all the time. You do both fresh and salt, yeah? Yeah. So, if you had to pick a favorite, could you pick a favorite of fresh versus salt or they've both got their own uh, positives and oh, neg- I guess they've got negatives, but that, is, there, is there one that sticks out better than another for you or it just be hard to guess or pick one? Uh, probably not really. Like I, I love both of them. If I do either one for too long, I'm really hanging out to go, go have a fish in the other. Like I do a lot of working on the salt now. So I tend to do more freshwater fishing myself, but I still love getting yeah. out for a fish on the salt as well. 
But um, if it really came down to it, I'd probably have to say maybe fishing the fresh slightly better because, I don't know, it's just a lot easier on your body. Like you fish the salt day after day after day, it can get hard on your body and then yep. it's a lot more relaxing to just, you know, go up the river and camp and fish every day. Yeah, right. So is it the is it the luck like, is it the elements that you get on the coast that make it so hard on your body, like the swell and then the sun and the yep. fact that you've got that much water around you, you got that reflection off the sun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um yeah, just saltwater fishing is usually long runs in the boat, can be rough weather day after day. And yeah, it's just it's not as relaxing as um freshwater fishing and yeah, it's just a bit harder on the body standing up in big seas all day and in the sun all day. Yeah, okay, true. And, okay, so let's talk out of both, salt and fresh, what would be, could you put your finger on a favourite fish to target? Um, yeah, that's a real hard one. Probably in the freshwater, probably have to be cod. I don't know, there's just something about big cod eating surface lures that's amazing. And um, then in the salt water, it'd probably be a, a dog tooth tuna because you can just never catch enough of them. They're just a really elusive fish and... Just, are they is that they're, they're harder to catch than the other tuna species yeah yeah i think in my opinion they're um super hard to catch because they just live with the sharks and you get sharked a lot and then when you do get a big one they fight amazing and yeah they're just in really remote places up off the cape like really hard to get to in trailer boats like we have caught them out trailer boats before but yeah they live in some pretty cool spots yeah, 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 fair enough. Now, mate, I want to go back to how fi- how fishing started for you and you were talking about how it all started. From there, where did it really kick off? Was, were you like, say, like myself, when you got your license, did you start to fish more and then did you just travel on your own or did you have mates? Did you fish with mates and then you went to uni as well? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, it probably really exploded for me um, when I got my license and went to uni because I'd always fished so much when I was a young fella but I could never really get away. I'd just fish the river down behind my parents' joint or dad might yep. dad might drop us off camping up the Murray for the weekend or whatever with a couple of mates and then pick us up. But, um, yeah, when I got my licence, I moved to Warnable um, down on the southwest coast to do a fisheries and aquaculture degree. And when I moved down there, it was like, you know, an 18-year-old with his licence just rocked up. Yeah. One of the best spots in Victoria to fish and just had all these awesome fishing options and didn't have to be home for anyone at any time. As long as I did my uni work or whatever, it was all good. So I just kind of went wild down there and just fished pretty much every day while I was at uni. And, yeah, that's where it really took off. And I really thought, you know, this is what I want to do. It's the time of your life, eh? Is just no, like there's very little responsibilities. Yeah. Like once you finish school, there's just the world is open to you, eh? And you can basically, if anyone's listening and you're at that age, just go for whatever you want to do, eh? Yeah. You'd highly recommend that, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Just pick something you like and just go do it. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, I'm glad you have because I've loved following your stuff so far and the content you create and all that. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into talking about our key species, the cod. We we all love cod. What do you love about cod? What draws you to them so much? Uh, I think it's just that they're such a big freshwater fish and they're so unique. You know, no one else in the world's got anything like them, um, especially the fact that well, they can be so docile, yet they can get so angry and just come up and destroy a surface lure that looks like a duck in the middle of the day is pretty amazing. And, um, yeah, I think the fact that they're really hard to catch, the big ones, um, you can never, ever catch enough of them. Even everyone who catches a lot of big ones, they, they still put in a lot of time and a lot of effort into catching them. And, um, yeah, I think that's just that they're so unique that I really like about them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. So, it, it and it's that unknown with COD A. You just, like you said, you just have no idea and they do push push you to limits, eh? Do you think, I've got a question for you. Do you think, uh, like, we would appreciate them or they would be so respected by us if they were a lot easier to catch? Or do you think it's a good thing that they're tough to catch? Yeah, I think it's a good thing that they're tough to catch for sure, especially the big ones. Um, you know, any big fish is hard to catch, so... But yeah, cod are at a whole nother level because sometimes they're even hard to catch at any size. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, talking, say, let's talk giant Murray cod, right? Like, if people want to go out and chase a trophy fish, uh, could you just share with with me and the listeners what are some things you've learnt from your experience that make a massive difference in your fishing, right? So, what is one? Just talk about one key thing. Maybe it's a style, a technique, a theory that you've that you've come across over the years to targeting big cod. What's something you could share with people? Um, probably just just look for where the bait is and look look. The fish are going to be not far, especially the big ones. Um, they're not going to be far from wherever the bait is. Uh, yeah, those big ones they just really seem to follow the bait and um, hang below it and they'll they'll be way more pelagic than you think like everyone just thinks a cod goes and sits on a big log for its whole life but they're not like that at all that they will be where the bait is especially around the prime time periods and um yeah that's probably what I'd, the major thing i'd be looking for it doesn't matter if you're right. in a lake or a river yeah okay cool we'll touch on we're gonna get I'm going to ask you a few more questions later on about, say, let's say fishing a dam and finding bait and things like that. But one of the key things you're saying is bait because you're finding active fish around the bait, aren't you? Yeah, 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 for sure. And then yeah. and then once you find that bait, you just got to persist. It's just a persistence game with big cod for sure. Like you can cast all day and, and not get a bite and it might dishearten you, but then you can get up and do the exact same thing again the next day and get one. It's just having com- yeah. confidence in where you're fishing and spending the time to do it because realistically to get a grab off a big one, you're probably looking at a, a week's fishing time anyway. So are you talking, okay, so if we're going to go chase big cod, winter's preferred. Do you prefer winter over summer? Yeah, I do prefer winter over summer. Um, you still can catch them in summer, but they just, all the bait comes closer to the surface in winter and then the big cod seem to come closer to the surface as well, just makes them a lot easier to cast at. I haven't done a whole heap of trolling in my time, so I just mainly cast at them. Yeah, okay. And then, so say it's winter and you just said like you're solid, like it's days of fishing, isn't it, to get a good fish? Like it's not like, you know, you go out for a morning session and and if you work hard, you're going to get a big one. So another key thing for people to understand is these bigger fish take effort. You need to put in the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And especially if you're going to target them in winter because you just don't seem to get anywhere near the amount of smaller fish that you normally get during summer and stuff and it it can just be a massive donut until you get that one big grab. But generally, if you can get a grab fishing the big fish spots in winter, it'll be a good one. Yeah, okay. So, what I want to touch on now is let's say we're going because you fished the Murray River a bit, right? So, let's say we're going to the Murray River. What does a session on the water look like for you? What's your plan of attack? Run us through everything, the prep, what you what you look at before you go on a trip, um, you head out. What do you do? What's step-by-step step to, to chasing a good fish? And let's just say it's wintertime. Say we're targeting a big fish. What is your preparation, your plan, and what do you do on the day? Uh, yeah, well, the first thing I'd be looking at for sure is um, jump on the Murray-Darlin live data and have a look at what water's flowing through where. So um, mainly during winter, I'll fish anywhere below um, Lake Mulwala. If that fast water section straight below Lake Mulwala's got good flows, 
um, you'll head straight there. If that doesn't, you might look further down the Murray, and then you can go all the way down to around Mildura at the locks there where it slows up. Um, if you've got lower flows down there and good clarity, that'll be a good option. And then once I've settled on a spot that's got lower flows and um, good clarity, I'll drive. So lower flows, the key. Sorry, mate, I didn't mean to interrupt, but low, a, a consi- like good flows is lower, yeah? Yeah and more consistent flow. So if it's had a spike from rain or if it's high, that's not what you're looking for. Yep, that's not what you're looking for because that'll generally result in dirty water. And cod really like, they just really like nice, steady water. They don't like a water change. Like a lot of the times um, you'll be able to see on live data if they're letting water out of Eildon and putting a flush down the Goulburn River, you'll see that it'll be coming out in the Murray and there'll be a fair flush of water moving through the Murray. The cod... They don't seem to like that. You can catch them, but it seems to shut majority of the fish off. So I try and steer away from that and just look for somewhere. Like I might get on the live data and look five times a week and just look at, you know, where it's flowing the same every day and where the water's yep. going to be good. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. All right, so continue with what you were saying after you've figured out where you're going to go. Yeah, and then, then I'll just head up there. Um, if it's an area I haven't fished, I might spend the first day just driving around, looking looking for a good stretch of timber, looking for a good spot to camp. Um, I like fishing new spots, which I, I sometimes do go to old spots, but then um, majority of the time now I just go and look at new water and just try and find a good section, and I might burn the whole first day up there just looking for some nice water, um, try a few different spots maybe, drive around, cast a few snags, um, take a look at the sounder, work out where the deeper bends are, where the shallower bends are, and then just kind of put a bit of a game plan together for the next few days and, um, yeah, get everything right. And then at first light the next morning, I'll hit the river with surface straight away. Probably, yep. probably go out, you know, 10 minutes before it starts to get light and already have a, have a section of water in mind where I'm going to fish. And then I'll start fishing with surface and I'll fish the surface right through to about uh, 8 o'clock or just as kind of the sun starts to hit the water. Um, yep. and if I've had a buff, I'll keep it on for a while. If I haven't had a buff, I'll change the subsurface. Right. So that's, so that's basically the fish are going to be confident when it's that low light period. Once the sun hits the surface, if you haven't had a hit, like if the sun hits the water, you're basically right. Oh, we need to go subsurface. But if you do get a hit, you, that gives you the idea that they might be feeding top water. So you continue with it for how long? Another couple of hours or? Yeah, I'd fish it for another couple of hours at least. And then if, if it was a stormy overcast day, I'd almost fish it all day. And if, if it was sunny for a few hours and you had a buff in the morning and you had no action and then it came back overcast and windy, I'd be putting um, surface straight back on again. It didn't right. wouldn't wouldn't matter if it was like twelve o'clock middle of the day, two o'clock. I've caught meteries before by switching back to surface in the middle of the day because it's coming overcast. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And yep. then and then when you go subsurface, what would your plan of attack be? What kind of structure are you fishing? Because like when you even with your surface lures, what kind of structure are you fishing? Uh, with surface, I don't so much focus on the big snags. I'll um, just pick pick a, a section of water that I want to fish or a bank, and I'll just consistently cast like every meter the whole way um, down or up the bank. Really? And yeah, and I'll just because um, I think the fish that are eating surface are pretty switched on, so they're pretty pelagic in nature. Like they're out looking for a feed, they're out looking yep. for a looking for a duck or a fish, so they'll they'll be out looking and they'll come up and smash it even on a shallower bank, like on nothing. I've caught plenty of fish just casting it kind of the bare sides of the bank on surface. And then, um, 
yeah, whereas it's not so much like that with the subsurface. The fish seem to pull back and really hang on those big logs in the Murray during the day, um, yep. especially when they're not super switched on and you've got to get a spinnerbait or a hard body like down right in their face and then you know you might be able to coax one into a bite but definitely those surface eating fish are a lot more pelagic than people think so you're not so that's real interesting so you're fishing um are you fishing on a bank that's got timber but you're just fishing the whole bank or you'll you'll happily fish like an inside corner that's pretty bare with structure and you're saying the fish will cross the river and move onto the flats or like yeah yeah for sure if it was um like i'll generally fish like a nice timbered bank and yep. I'll just I'll cons- I'll consistently cast a meter down the whole bank. Like even if there's a t- fifty meter gap between two lay down logs, like I'll still electric along and cast every meter along that bank on prime okay. time. And yep. then and then um, like on prime time is surface as well. I will fish the insides of bends. Like if you have got a really big deep bend with a heap of deep logs on one side of it, and then like a shallower um sand barry point on the inside with a few spindlies and that in the water i'll definitely run surface over those few spindlies really yeah i think the fish will um they'll move up out of that deep hole on first and last light and they'll sit in those shallower spots just either trying to grab a carp on its way past because the carp will just mooch those shallower edges all day that's true yeah. yeah and they'll just they'll hang up there they won't hang up there all day but they'll hang up there on the prime lot on the prime periods just trying to get an easy feed and then they and might drop back into the hole and you've had success doing that yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, like, that's um, insane. One of the one of the better ones I got out of the Murray last year was just casting at a just a small spindly tip that was hanging on the um, inside of a bearer bend. Yeah, and what yeah. time was that? At morning? Uh yeah, that was about eight o'clock in the morning. Geez, that's good, eh? How yeah. good's that? So they, that, like you said, it's it all goes back to that bait, and that's true. If you were to bait fish for carp, where where would you bait fish on that sandy bank? So. Yeah. And, and that's where the carp will be. So you got to think where wherever the bait is, those big fish will be as long as the conditions are right. Because do you believe that they're, they're quite a spooky fish? So yeah, like yeah. sunlight really puts them off? Um, yeah, yeah. I think the big ones for sure, they are a spooky fish. They're pretty switched on, the big ones. Like he's only got to grab one carp every couple of days and, you know, that's him. Um, so I think he'll just move to where he knows he can get that carp quick when he's feeding. And then he'll just grab it and then he'll go back to sulking wherever he's going to hang out or hang out on a big snag down deep and they can be pretty hard to catch when they do that. Yeah, 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 true. So what kind of surface lures are you using for the bigger fish? Like say in the Murray, are you using paddlers or wake baits or what's your go-to? Uh, my go-to is definitely big paddlers. Um, I'm not so much of a fan of the wake baits in the rivers. Um, oh, they do work, but I just like that big paddler. It just makes so much sound. Um the, my favourite at the moment is definitely the Blister Tremor. It's got that added sound of the vibrator as well. You can hear it from a long way off and, yeah, it just makes an awesome bloop-bloop sound. But then um, it's hard. Sometimes you get sick of throwing a big paddler all the time and they are hard to cast and they're hard to really hard to work in current. So sometimes when I fish the section of the Murray that's got a lot of current, um, I'll use a smaller surface lure. Like this year I caught a metre 10 on a wobble blopper. It's just super easy to fish. Um, it's like a little bass-style American fizzer, and you can just fish it super easy through current. Like it doesn't get caught up like a paddler and drag in a snags, and you yep. can just rip it in and out quick. And the fish will still eat it if they're looking up. It just um, you can just fish it super effectively, like five, five or six casts in a snag while there's current on it, and um, still get it in and out fine. Yeah, nice. So is it, it doesn't have like a, a black, like a cup face on the front. It's just like a fizzer. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's just a fizzer. It's just um, 140 mil. 
just yep. 140 mil fizzer and I'll sometimes cast it up against the log and give it two bloops um, just to get it going, make a bit of noise and then I'll just slow roll it out so it just fizzes out the whole way and that meter 10 that I got actually like a 70 buffed at the cast before and then um, I just threw it back in there, gave it two bloops where the 70 buffed it and that big one came up and ate it. Yeah, wow. So the, the fizzer's got like a blade on the back of it, doesn't it? That, yeah, just that rotates around. Yeah. And how do you know how do you know that there was a seventy that hit it first? Just the size of the buffs is just easy to tell. Oh the the seventy full like came out of the water, like air striked it, like um, ah. yeah, blew right out of the water, super aggressive strike, and I was like, Oh, you know, that was a smaller one. It was clearly a smaller one. I saw it and then um cast back in there and this bigger one buffed it and as soon as he buffed it I thought, geez, that, that looked a lot bigger and I wasn't entirely <laughs> sure. I was like, Oh, it's gotta be the same seventy and then yeah, he got out in the car and I could hardly move him and then I was trying to electric out of the snag and I couldn't pull him out. I got over there and the water was pretty clear at the time and got directly above him and yeah, realised he was a lot bigger than the one that buffed it the cast before. <laughs> but I think the um commotion of the other fish must have brought him out. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy what, like, even when you hook a fish, the, the big fish really hone in on, like, a, a distressed fish or something like that. But that's crazy that, like, you do all that fishing and then within two casts of each other, that happens. It's just... Yeah, yeah, crazy. Like, it, it happened to me at Eildon um, with uh, Lubin as well. I was the day before Lubin was there and I was casting casting for cod for, like, a whole day and hadn't had a strike and then picked up my fly rod and cast it out at a carp that was just swimming past. Got a four-pound carp and he ate the dry, hooked him up straight away and he charged off and went over this big lay down and then a meter cod just came up and nailed him like three or four times while I was fighting him. No way. Yeah, and then I full dropped the um, dropped the fly rod and got my swim bait out and the carp teared off and half beached itself up on the bank and then I cast my swim bait in along the snag where he was and he came out and he nailed it. But he got Oh, off. did he? Yeah. Oh, it's feeling. It yeah, that's angry. crazy. So, do you reckon he was like, if you had to drop your swim bait in there before he saw the carp, he would have eaten it anyway because he was key, like he was switched on. But the fact that he couldn't catch anything was because you don't know where a hungry fish is, and then after that, you're like, I know exactly where I got to put this because he's sitting there. Do you yeah. reckon? Do you reckon, or do you reckon he would have eaten it before he saw the carp? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a hard one. I hadn't, I hadn't cast in exactly where he was, but I, I had. Um, put a few casts around in the area. I think, yeah, just maybe the commotion of the like the paranoid or stressing out carp actually fired him up because um, yep. I think that happens a lot. Like there's always big fish sitting on the logs, but you just can't fire them up. And I think, you know, a live carp really did seem to fire him up. That's crazy, eh? How cool yeah. is that? The stories you hear just talking to people about fishing stuff, it's just, it's why it's, it reminds you of why you do it, like why you go out and keep giving it a crack because you see so many cool things and you see a photo of someone holding up a big fish but sometimes the stories are even cooler, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You get to see, so, that's the thing about cod fishing. There's heaps of cool stories about ones you missed as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So go back to, so you've changed from surface now, the sun's got up, we're on the river and you're using spinnerbaits or hard bodies. What's, what's your go-to in a spinnerbait? Like what size, model, type and then same with a hard body. Yeah, um, with the spinnerbaits, I'll generally fish them if it's um, a bit bit dirtier. Like if it's it's really dirty, um, definitely fish a spinnerbait and then I'll fish a spinnerbait up to, you know, kind of about a foot visibility. And then if it's clearer than a foot, I'll generally lean towards hard bodies. But I do mix it up. Like if you think a spinnerbait's going to fish better on the water you're fishing, I'll fish it as well. Um, yeah, the, my go-to spinnerbaits, definitely the... The twin spin, I call them. It's just the twin-armed one with a single Colorado on each. I, I like how they hit together, the two blades. 
just kind yep. of makes makes a bit of extra sound and thump in the water and then they fish really nice on the drop they just keep spinning on the drop and i just like the way they fish so um yeah i generally lean towards the twin spin in about a one ounce or if i'm fishing a shallower bit of water a smaller river the five eights are pretty good yeah and um and then hard bodies i fish a fair few different ones i'll just fish whatever i think um is going to fish the water the best so uh, if it's shallower, I might fish, you know, a stunt jumper or a cooler bung or something like that or a surface. And then if it's deeper, I'll generally fish like a ballista dino or an arashi or one of the big conventional like ACs. Um, yeah, just, okay. Just about whatever I think will fish the water the best. Um, just depends on depth and current and maybe size of the bait too. And then, um, yeah, whatever you can cast a lot and cast a lot accurately and get it out without getting snagged is um, generally what I'll be using. Yeah, right. So having a lure that's snag resistant is pretty much the most important thing because yep. it's all about getting it in the zone rather than, say, putting the most realistic lure in the zone one out of five times because it just keeps snagging. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. That, that's it. It's just about number of casts until you find that active one. Like generally, if you find an active cod, he'll probably pretty much eat anything. So, um you just got to f- keep moving through those lures so you can just do as many casts as you can. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Mate, what's your opinion on the barometric pressure, weather conditions? You know, what's your ideal day heading out and chasing, let's just say cod. So what, what's the ideal conditions for you to chase cod in? Uh, yeah, definitely those um, winter days where it's just nice, calm, sunny. You get the frosty mornings and then you get those nice, calm, sunny um, winter days. They're definitely my pick if I could yeah just fish all them it'd be awesome and that's what you'd fish but you also get a lot of bad weather too which i don't know you can get them at any time i found like i've caught them on all pressures and you know the lead ups to storms and then following after storms um yeah it's hard to pick like you'd think someone would have worked it out by now if there was a (laughs) secret secret recipe but yeah you just catch them when you're out on the water but definitely those um those calm sunny winter days are the best yeah, you, you're right though about trying to figure them out because you've not only got, you know, different barometers, different weather, different wind, you've also got different waterways with different fish and then you've also got like water conditions as well which play a big part on the fish. So you could go out on certain weather condition but these other conditions are different and you're like, oh yeah, this sunny day fished well but, you know, this could have been like the water temperature could have been right or you know, it, it's just a whole mix of things that there's never, you're never going to fish a day the same as the day before. You know what I mean? Like yeah, everything yeah. is going to be different every time. So I guess we just got to take what we know and what we learn from our experience and put it all together and sort of piece it together. But like you said, the biggest thing is just time on the water, eh? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's it. Um, so what I want to talk about now, uh, I want to talk about, let's say we're fishing, you're heading to a lake that you've never fished before, right? Um, how would you prepare to fish a new waterway? So for this example, let's say a lake, um, that you've never been to, is there any lakes you've never fished before that you want to fish for cod? Uh, yeah, Glen Lyon, um, just in Southern Queensland. I want to start fishing that a bit. I've never fished that impoundment. It seems pretty cool. Yeah, okay. Well, let's say you're heading there, right? Um, what would be your plan of attack? Um, it, you're always after trophy cod, I'm guessing. So, like, what would you do there? Would you do what would you do before the trip? What would you do when you get there? What would be your plan of attack for a new waterway so that other people who've never fished a new waterway before can sort of learn from what you do? Yeah, 
yeah, I'd definitely before I went there, I'd definitely jump on Google Earth and have a look, have a look at the lake, um, have it maybe have a look at the water levels and see if it's been dropping or rising, um, what it's doing in terms of that. And then when I'd get up there, the first thing I'd do is get in the boat and just drive around looking at banks, looking at where the structure is, where the flat grassy banks are, um, just go explore up a few different bays, look at where the drop-offs are, where the deep water is, where the shallow water is, um, and then the whole time keeping an eye on the sounder for bait and looking for any patches of bait, even if it's down deep or if it's up shallow. Just wherever you find more bait in the lake is where I'd be focusing my efforts for the first um, couple of sessions for sure. So, so you so you spend up so how how much time do you spend driving around? You spend a bit of time, almost a day, just yeah. researching. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that empowerment fishing, um, first light and last light, can be awesome times to fish, and then throughout the day it can be super hard, and throughout the night can be a good time to fish as well. But it can be super hard as well. So um, yeah, like I'll just focus my efforts around the first light and last light for the first couple of days. And then during the day, if I got to burn a few hours, like looking, trying to find new spots, not even fishing, just watching the sounder, driving around looking, that won't bother me so much at all. Like if I see something that really excites me on the sounder or um, in a bay, like I move into a bay and there's a heap of bait there, there's, you know, might be a heap of pelicans feeding, that might be a sign or you might see it on your sounder. Um, I'll definitely stop and have a fish through there right through the day just with something deeper. Um, you will still catch the fish during the day if you if you are where they're feeding so um yeah but if you've got to burn a few hours looking um that's no issue because you know that when it comes prime time you're fishing in you know a likely spot right so the so you're saying a key and i'm getting this from what you're saying a key to your success is that you spend time looking for fish and bait and good spots rather than just head out cast for the day you know and just keep casting wherever you end up so i'm guessing a few a lot of your trips are decent trips so this works well when you're going for a three, four, five day trip or more, yep. um, and you spend that time researching. So, uh, are you looking for any banks in particular, or are you just looking on, uh, like, because a, a lake's big, right? So, yep. and bait, you have no idea where the bait is, especially in a new lake. So, you're looking for a particular bank and like structure, and then looking for bait near it, or are you just randomly driving around and then trying to find bait in certain areas and then trying to find bait in similar areas to where you first find it does that make sense yeah yeah well with the bait and the impoundments it generally hangs out on those grassy flat um muddy banks i don't know if it's because it's all trying to get away from the cod in the dams or whether they just like that because the water heats up quicker um but definitely around your first and last light that's where all your bait will be congregating so i'd definitely be looking at those areas first and just trying to find um, spots like that you generally won't see anywhere near as much bait on the surface during the day when you're looking but you may see it on the sounder which will help um, it's really that first light and last light period that the bait comes up to the surface and flicks around and you can visually see it whereas um, during the day you're just going to see it on the sounder and stuff but if you can find bait anywhere in the dam um, it's not going to move too far between first and last light like even if you're finding big congregations of bait out deeper on ledges or drop-offs or in in the trees um come first and last light that bait will generally move to 
the closer banks in the area. Like it might be a certain bay that's just it's been windblown the week previous to you were there, and it's got better water in it. And there might be more bait holding in that bay, and then therefore there's more cod in that bay. That seems to happen a fair bit in the impoundments. It's just um, yeah, just driving around looking. Maybe try a few different sides of the lake, try a few different corners, and just see. And wherever you find the most bait or you mark the most fish is um yeah definitely where I'd be fishing. And then just play it by ear through the session. Like if you mark it all out deep, and then it vanishes when it's coming up to prime time. You just want to move to those closer banks and start looking shallower. It might have just come shallower. Or it might have just moved down the bank 50 meters. Yeah, right. So it's only moved, usually it only moves just a little bit. It's not like it's taken off over the other side of the lake. It'll yeah, have just yeah. moved like 20 meters up into shallower water or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So so you're not actually driving out and going, let's find a rocky bank. That's a good, awesome looking bank. I'm going to fish that. That's not at all what you're doing. Nah, nah. Like if I, I see a really good structure point, like a big rocky bank with a few logs and that on it, I'll definitely give it a few casts throughout the day. You still catch plenty of fish during that, but I don't know. From what I've found in the impoundments, if you're really going to smack them, like you're really going to catch a fair few good fish, you've you got to find those pelagic fish, those fish that are chasing the bait. Um, that's it. all my best sessions, like multiple fish sessions have all come from fishing bait, whereas you can kind of plug away and just fish structure all day if you like doing that, and you will catch fish. But, um, yeah, generally, it's not as many numbers. Because they're just... A lot of them are dormant, aren't they? They're like sitting yeah. on their structure. They're not actually feeding. Some of them could be ambushing, but the ones that are really wanting to get a good feed are chasing the bait, which is, yeah, it's become a way of... You'd never read about it or heard about anyone talk about this, like I'm going to say, eight years ago. Yeah. But more recently, I feel like that's that's the best way to get big fish. Um, Touch on for me, what are the different kinds of bait that you can find in impoundments for cod? Like what list for me all the different types of bait that are around and how they all behave um you definitely get a lot of bony brim um they're probably one of murray cod's favorite food fish to feed on um heaps of the dams have got them in it they're just a smaller silver fish they're a native fish um and then you get roach which are like a similar to a carp but smaller and then you get carp obviously i think the big fish um really feed on big carp a lot more than we think and maybe that's why the really big fish in the dams are so hard to catch. Um, yeah. You also get in the in the more northern dams, you get heaps of uh, spangled perch. There's a major food fish for them up there. And then you get redfin in a lot of the dams as well. And then they'll feed on trout too if they can catch them. Um, what else do we get? Oh, yabbies. They feed on yabbies a lot, um, a lot more than people think, especially in some of the dirtier dams. Yep. Yeah, yeah, okay. So so there's different food sources in every lake. So you obviously have to, before you head out, figure out what the food source is because that would give you a really good idea of what kind of size, shape, color lure you want to use, I guess, depending on if you can figure out what they're feeding on and what food sources in the waterway. That would make a big difference. Yeah, 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 for sure. And another thing I'd be doing if I was going to a new empowerment is just, just electric around the shallows and the pitch black with... Um, just a big head torch or whatever torch you got and just shine your light in the shallows and just have a look at what's in a meter of water or what, what you can see with your head torch because generally um, that'll be the majority of the bait will be there and you'll be able to look and you'll be able to see, you know, you know a spangled perch and they're about four inches. So that's what I want to be using or you might see, you know, there might be big carp sitting up in the shallows and you're like, all right, I need to, you know, get something that's a big carp profile something really big that I can um, use. And then, yeah, I definitely just do that and have a look. And then when I fish in I just love matching the bait source. So my lure will just be whatever I can get 
that's the closest colour, shape and size to the bait that I think the fish are feeding on. And then I think when you can get that a perfect match is when you, you know, you catch some good fish. And that's what I pretty much do the whole time. Like I won't use any fancy colours or shiny colours, not like in the river where I'll just use a hard body, you know, it's bright pink or purple, it won't bother me. Whereas in the impoundments, it'll be like the specific colour that that bait fish is. Yeah, right. So what's more important to you, the colour or the shape of the Pro- lure? Probably shape. Um, yeah, if you think they're eating big stuff, you want to be throwing something big. If you think they're on like smaller bonies, like three-inch bonies or whatever, I might use a lipless. Like that's still going to catch a big fish in the impoundments if they're feeding on them. Um, yeah. Yeah, so probably size, but then, yeah, shape and color isn't far behind that. Yeah, okay, right. And then so you're matching the bait and then you're obviously trying to figure out where they are and what they're doing. So like when you fish a morning session or an afternoon session, you've found the bait are you once you've found them does that determine what depth you fish do you like if the bait's all mid-water column or if it's up really high is that where you're going to fish your lure and then yeah, yeah. and then how do you how do you fish it do, do you usually is it do you mix it up or is it just do you use a slow roll that matches them just cruising along yeah it's um i'll definitely be fishing wherever the bait is like if the bait's flicking on the surface up in the shallows you can throw surface you can use an unweighted swim bait and just um swing it along just below the bottom always generally just do the slow roll with cod um other than kind of that surface blooping with the the surface lures that i sometimes do yeah everything else is pretty much just a dead slow roll all my all my spinnerbait work all my hard bodies and all my swim baits you might put a pause in here or there when you think you're in the zone but yeah pretty much just always a slow roll for me um and then yeah just fish in whatever depth you think the bait is in um so yeah if it's real shallow i'll throw a surface if it's uh down deeper i'll just put on a heavier chin weight and just fish it a bit slower and get it down that depth um plenty plenty of cod still feed down deep where the bait is um i don't think we've really tapped into that yet i've done a little bit but um yeah there's heaps of fish down there to be caught as well yeah, right, okay. So you, you're basically just getting your lure to where the fish are. So would you confidently fish, say you're on a, say you're in like a bay or a shallower bank, right? And it's say where your boat is, there's like a full cast distance from the edge or probably a bit further out and your, your bait is on the surface, right? Feeding, or not quite, but just under the surface. Let's say they're trout in Eildon or something. You would confidently fish an unweighted swim bait in, in five meters of water if that's where the bait is and that's where the bait's surfacing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like sometimes you fish an unweighted chin weight, do that exact thing, full cast distance out to the bank and then the fish will just rise up out of five meters when your leader's coming into your rod tip and just smash it. So they, they'll confidently do that if that's where the bait is. That's crazy. Yeah. You gotta, so yeah. as an angler, you got to get your head around, you know, the fish aren't just always stuck to the bottom. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Everyone thinks that cod are like that, but you know, if you get a feeding cod, he'll do anything to come eat your lure. Like people yeah. see it, people see it with surface luring. Like you're just like, wow, how can a cod all of a sudden just get that angry that it swam all the way over here and then did that massive tail flip just to eat it? But when they want to eat it, they'll come get it. Yeah, it's so good, eh? So good. So for I know a couple of lakes you fish quite a lot. Eildon's one, uh, Copeton quite a lot as well. Can you just run through for people? Eildon, what's the main food source of the fish? And same with Copeton, what is the main food source? And also Googong. I know you fish Googong a bit. What What's the food source in Googong? Eildon's a bit of a harder one because there is so many different types of bait in there. Like there's, there's a really good redfin population that they obviously hook into. Then there's heaps of big carp. Um, which the big fish definitely feed on a lot. And then you've also got a lot of roach and um, bony brim. 
So Ilda can be a bit of a tough one. You've got to kind of read the bait. Like if you've got small surface rings flicking on the surface at first light, um, I'd generally say that's roach or bonies. And then if you've got the big, you know, belly slapping carp on first light, that's generally carp. Um, you, the trout will also do those small rings as well. And then reddies, you generally won't see them on the surface at all. Um, you'll just see them in big blobs on the sounder, just heaps of little arches together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just try and play it by ear. Eildon's a good one because, you know, you can catch fish on anything because there is so many different baits in there. Yeah. But then um, you move up to Copeton and it's got a lot of, um, like, the Crucian carp in it and bony brim, which are just a small silver fish, pretty round, pretty big profile on them. Um, I like using that in Copeton, like the bigger, thicker profiles. Uh, and then you also get heaps of spangled perch in there too, which is like a, a longer, thinner um, they almost look like a little cod. They call them bobby cod as well. They almost yep. look like a little Murray cod, um, just a real spangled color to them. And then in Gugong, uh, it's pretty much all redfin and yabbies. Like there's uh, there's no carp, no roach. There is trout. I don't know how much um, feeding the cod do on the trout in there, but they seem to do majority of their feeding on the redfin um, and a few yabbies as well. Right, so based on their food source, that's how the fish feed. So tell me, would you fish Copeton different to how you would fish Googong? Yeah, yeah, for sure, because um, in Copeton, the, the bait source uh, loves coming to the surface and they spend yep. a lot of, lot of time in that surface layer, like the Crucian carp and bonies, and they come up and they'll feed off the trees and feed right in the shallows, whereas... Um, this is in winter when you're fishing it, and they love that that slightly warmer water, their surface water. They'll get up and they'll sit in that at Copeton because it's it's the warmest bit that gets heated up by the sun every day. And then um, Googong's completely different because in winter, for some reason, the redfin don't come anywhere near the surface. In um, winter, they like staying down deep. Like in summer, they'll be right up along the edges everywhere. You just be plagued by small redfin while you're fishing. Whereas in winter, they all just go down to like 15 meters and just get in big schools and just sit there like almost dormant and yeah. um yeah and i think the cod just find them really easy to feed on these big schools of like dormant redfin like i can get them on my sounder in my boat and drop a soft plastic into the school and feel my line and my soft plastic hitting these redfin but they won't eat the soft plastic just because they're so dormant yeah and then, right and then sometimes you can just give it a give it a jig and you'll just foul hook one there's so many of them there and i'm pretty sure that the cod find it pretty easy to just swim into these schools of like super cold dormant um redfin and just buff them because you know the water temperature on the surface in Gugong this year in winter i was getting like seven seven degrees in the morning like it's pretty cold and um yeah yeah that's totally different to copeton because the the fish seem to come up into the shallows at night and um yeah catch those those carp and the and the bobby cod Right, so you're saying the, the big cod come into the shallows in Copeton, but you've got the same fish in a different waterway and you won't, you don't chase them in the shallows in, in, in winter in Gugong because they're down deep. So you're fishing a totally different way at the same time of year only because of the bait and how the fish behave. Yeah, yeah. But then also you can still fish in the shallows at Gugong and catch them because the cod like to move up into the shallows because it's got that warmer bit of water, like the bask in a bit of sun early morning. Like quite often at Gugong in winter, I'd just be electric along along and then see, you know, a metre plus cod just sitting there. A really? Foot below, yeah, a foot below the surface, just sunning himself. So 
obviously, you know, they might do their feeding out deep, but then they still move in to the shallows at some stage during the day to just hang out or do whatever they want. So if you're throwing your lure there, you're still a chance of catching one. Like they're going to be harder because they're not feeding, but you throw it past enough fish, one's eventually going to grab it. Right. So so you've seen them in Googong in the shallows. You've cast them a lot of the times that they're not in that feeding mode. So they just take off or spook or just swim away. Does that happen? Yeah, yeah. It heaps like... Um, uh, three mornings in a row, there was this fish around 120 just cru- cruising up and down this rock wall like a foot below the surface each morning at like, I don't know, 8 o'clock in the morning when the sun first started hitting the water. No and way. I, yeah, and I and I, yeah, I cruised over there the first two mornings and threw swim baits at him on my electric and um, he just, you know, didn't even look at it. He kind of just slowly mooched off in the other direction and then the third morning, I'm like, all right, I'm not going to, he's not going to know I'm coming this time. I'm going to um, pulled the boat up like 100 meters away and walked up the bank and stood up on the rocky bluff and just watched him swim up and down the bank for like five minutes before I put a cast in. Put a cast in, he had absolutely no idea I was there and he still didn't look at my lure. <laughs> no way, he just no, still didn't care. You know, he just <laughs> took off, you know. I think he just had a big night of eating as many redfin as he can and, yeah, wasn't too interested in my lure. Yeah, they're funny, aren't they? They they yeah. they have these bite windows and that's it, like... Yeah. Yeah, there's there's those periods where they just don't want to fish. But then again, a different fish at the same time could eat, but then yeah. others yeah, don't, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Like that, that same trip, um, yeah, I was fishing with Will Curtin and we just knuckled down and just kept casting an edge all day because we, we were seeing heaps of fish on his sounder and um, we knew there was heaps of fish right along these edges and we were just fishing, you know, the first uh, two, three metres of water. And, um, yeah, we just knuckled down and did that all day and eventually just got got the bites off fish that were, you know, only a metre or two below the surface. They obviously weren't eating redfin because all the redfin were down at 15 metres. They obviously weren't feeding, but they were just we, we just found the angry ones. Yeah, yep, fair enough. And that does work, obviously. There's, it's the same when you're talking about yielding. You can, fish, you can fish the structure and you will get fish that'll hit eventually. Yep. Yep. But there's something about getting consistent and big fish when you're on those bait sources, especially wintertime, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's just, yeah. it's so consistent that, like, if, if I'm in a bay in an impoundment in winter and there's heaps of bait there and I've caught fish there the session before, it's like I'm going straight back there and I'm just going to do the exact same thing and you'll just catch more fish. And that, yeah. that, that amazes me just because the bait's there, the fish can feed there, they're pelagic, they'll just keep coming. I don't know where they're coming from, but they'll just keep coming. Like, you can't you can't burn that area out. Whereas <laughs> you go you go catch a big cod off a log and you can go there for the rest of your life and cast that big log again. And whether you'll catch him again, you might catch another one, but whether you'll catch, you know, whether you're going to catch him there every time, probably not. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny. So, like, go back to, I just want to touch on, uh, you're talking about, uh, you finding bait. What is, what are the what does bait look like on your sounder? Like obviously people's sounders are different. Um, and I don't know. Do you have down and side imaging, and or do you use your sonar to find your bait? What? And I know every bait's different, but are you just looking for like little marks on your screen, or is bait hard to see on the sounder? Or it's quite easy to see. Nah, it's it's quite easy. Um, sometimes you get you get a thermocline in the dams in winter, which is just um like a temperature break where the hot and cold water will be sitting and there'll be a big scatter layer. It'll just be like all flicks, like um, on your down and side scan, it won't really be anything. It might be some tiny little speckles. But um, yeah, on your on your on just your traditional sonar, it'll kind of be like this line in your sounder. And right, then, okay. Yeah, and don't confuse that with bait, but a lot of the time the bait will hang around that as well, which is the bait is usually just um, on your down on your traditional sonar, just all a heap of little arches, or if it's really like balled up, like um, small redfin or bony brim, 
it um, might come up as an actual ball, like a big, just a patch of blob. And yep. then, and then, um, and then on your side scan, it'll kind of come up as all little flicks or little flecks. Um, you'll see the individual school, like redfin, show up really well, just in like a, a big school of little flicks. And um, yep. yeah, just cruise around anywhere you've got heaps of like interference around that scatter layer. There'll generally be bait there somewhere. It just seems like the algae and um, all the smaller shrimp and all the smaller organisms in the waterway will kind of. Um, settle out in that thermocline and then the bait fish feed on that and then yeah. the cod feed on the bait fish. Yeah, so it's kind of basically you just want to look for activity on your sound, all right? You just yep. want random stuff showing up. Even if you're not sure what it is, if there's bits here and there in the midwater column going on, there's stuff going on, that's that's a good sign, yeah? Rather than yep. just a clean, empty sounder, that's not what you want. Yeah, yeah, for sure, that's it. Yeah, cool. Oh, well, that, that, it's it's... It's so interesting to hear how you fish an empowerment. And, and the question I've got for you, you know how you just said you spend a day researching the waterway um, if you're going for four or something days? If you are today to drive up to Copeton, will you spend another full day researching it because it is different now to all the other times you fished it or you won't waste that much time? Yeah, no, 100%. I'll spend a day looking like it's – I can't expect – like if you're going back the next weekend, you could expect it to be somewhat the same or, you know, maybe even two, three weeks later. But like going up there once every six months, you can't expect the lake to be in anywhere near the same shape it was. Like last time I was there, like every time I've been there, it's been completely different. Found bait in completely different areas. Um, a lot of people get bogged down and like their mates telling them, oh, yeah, I caught them on this bank and or I caught them here, go here, whereas like – you're going up a few months later, it's going to be totally different. you just got to go find where the fish are at the moment, especially the lake's just been dropping so much every year, so it's just forever changing. you just got to, yeah, go and find it out for yourself. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, mate, I, I want to talk about an article I saw of yours uh, quite a while ago um, on fishing for cod deep. Like, it was it was really intrigued me because it was totally different to what we all know. Um, what made you start trying that style of fishing? I think you are at Copeton, um, and what's the success been like with the approach? Can you explain it for me? Yeah, yeah, that was just um, a trip to Copeton with a few friends. I was fishing um, with Jimmy Dayton from Ballista Lures, and... It had been a super tough trip for Copeton standards. Like I think we were into the third or fourth day um, with like a cod bite and that was it. Like fishing super hard, fishing the shallows a lot. It was winter. The fish should, you know, the bait fish should have been up in the shallows. The fish should have been up eating them. Um, just fishing the shallows, just not seeing the bait that's normally there. Driving around at night and putting like a light in the water to see what was there. And there just, there wasn't there was hardly anything like there's a few big eel-tailed catfish you might see the odd bobby cod here and there but you know you go to copeton in winter on a good year and you flick your light on and there's a hundred fish like in in the shallows yep. in your light beam at once you know it's just it's just a massive amount of bait in there and then um driving around everywhere just looking on the sounder like um between like 35 and 45 foot there was this massive um like thermocline and then there was heaps of bait down there and just scatter layer. And it was kind of everywhere in the lake. And I never took too much notice of it. I thought, oh, that's too deep. I can't be fishing in 45 foot. Um, and then it wasn't until one of our mates in camp came around and fished a point and just threw a massive vibe out and fished it in 40 foot. And I think he got two fish that Arvo. They were both pretty good fish around the meter. And um, came back to camp and, you know, told us how it was and said, you know, I caught these fish out deep. Um, come and have a look. And he was heading off. And then we went and had a bit of a sound around and, yeah, noticed there was so much bait there. And then 
that that arvo just started fishing in um 45 foot of water and just started getting bites like consistently yeah right it just all started to make sense to me it's like why why have we been fishing in the shallows the last three four days trying to find these active fish when there's no bait in there the fish just aren't in there like copeton's biomass of big cod is massive like if you're fishing in the biomass of big cod in copeton you're catching fish like they can't hide anywhere they don't disappear they still got to eat so they're always somewhere um and yeah we just weren't fishing anywhere near where the fish were when we're fishing like 10 foot of water and then yeah um from then we just fished in 35 to 50 foot of water for the next three days and i think i caught 12 or 13 fish the biggest no was way one, uh, biggest was like 126 so, so you could have donated if you didn't change your tactic yeah yeah that's crazy and you, and what's the technique you you're basically just casting like as big as you can because at that size at sorry at that depth you, you're not down there for very long because you know you cover a lot more sort of bottom when you're fishing like real shallow whereas when you're casting out there you've got to allow your lure to get right down and then it's down there and then it sort of swings back up is that what you were doing and then what lure would you lure did you change your lures for the deeper water yeah, it's super hard to fish that deep for cod, um, particularly with swim baits too. Like the fish in Copeton are pretty smart. Um, they've seen a lot of lures and uh, it's generally you got to use a swim bait to get those better bites. Um, so I was using a swim bait the whole time. It was just that really realistic profile was getting the fish and I was throwing a lot of other stuff and just couldn't get the bites. So I went to like, um, it was actually... I don't know how many ounce it was because I made it myself. It was just like a like a whiting sinker that I'd crimped on with a bit of single strand wire onto the head of my swim bait, and that just got it down to that 45 foot pretty quick. And I found that I could fish it down there. I think it was probably like an ounce and a half um, chin weight. Yep, yep, that's heavy. And, yeah, it was heavy, and I'd just cast as far as I could, a massive cast, and then just leave my leave my reel in free spool until it got all the way to the bottom in 45 foot. So I still had. A decent amount of cast to bring it back because uh, if, yep. if, if you cast it out and clicked it in gear it'd kind of just pendulum straight down and end up not that far from straight down below you so yep. i just cast it right out let it sink right to the bottom and then just um you could only probably do like 10 turns before you swim bait and start riding right up out of the zone coming up to like 30 foot again so i'd just give it like 10 turns of the handle and then click my reel out of gear just keep my finger on it and just feel for bites on the drop because a lot of the time they were grabbing it on the drop yeah and um yeah i just let my swim bait swim back down into 45 foot of water again click it back into gear swim it back up to 30 foot and then click it out of gear swim it back down and you probably get you know three or four or five drops per cast and then you'd have to wind it up and cast again it was very time consuming to fish but we knew the fish were down there we we're seeing the fish on the sound or below the bait and you'd see the bait the bait it all ball up and tighten up when the fish would start coming through and start feeding and yep. then yeah you knew a bite wasn't too far away and it was pretty good um got a fair few bites doing that and then i had sammy hitsky fishing with me at the time as well he was just casting his swim bait out letting it sink to the bottom and then doing like a two meter like almost like a vibe up with his big swim bait rod yeah just um rip it up off the bottom two meters then wind the slack down rip it up and then let it sink back down he was getting a fair few bites doing that too yeah, it's crazy and it, and it basically just goes to show and I guess the rule and the thing you take away from that and for everyone listening to take away from that is just don't stick to the one technique, you if know. It's not working, yeah. Yeah, even if it's worked in the past, you've got to have that ability to adapt, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like for me, it was like Copeton in winter, it's just all about the shallows. All you ever hear about is like shallow surface, shallows, you know, unweighted swim baits and it was just so hard to get out 
of that mindset like looking back at it in hindsight now it's like man what were you doing fishing there there was no bait how are you fishing for like the active pelagic fish they just weren't there but um yeah it's pretty hard to get out of that mindset when that's um how i've caught heaps of good fish there previously so yeah it's just about getting getting out there and finding the bait and then fishing where the bait is yeah so obviously a sound is critical to yeah impoundment fishing impoundments yeah impoundments yeah yeah, hundred percent. So, mate, can you just run through what's your top? What would be your top three lures, go-to lures in an impoundment chasing big cod? Um, probably I like uh, the chatterbaits. Yep. Like a, a, a mumbler or a chatterbait or whatever you want to call them. Like one of them, a fairly big size one, like a cod size one. I don't know the 200, 250 mil ones. Um, just put a big plastic on it. Uh, they're just awesome because you can fish them super effectively and super quick at any depth. So when you're just burning along in a bank, um, trying to find an active fish, it just fishes really well. You know, you can cast it out. Doesn't take long to get down. Doesn't ride up too quick, and you can just fish them really effectively. But they're still pretty lifelike profile. Like. It's not that much different to a yabby just kicking along. I really like them in the impoundments. Um, yep. Then it'd have to be a swim bait. Uh, probably anything that matches the bait, like you know, big redfin soft plastic might be good if the dam's got redfin in it or if it's got, yep. got big carp in it, you might want to use a big line through or a gigantral or something like that. Just um, whatever's going to match the bait in a swim bait, it'd definitely be my pick. Um, and I have a few different chin weights. If the bait's in shallow, you don't need a chin weight, but if it's down deep, you need a chin weight. Yeah. And then the third one would definitely be a big paddler. Um, or if you're at Copeton, big wake bait. Um, the northern impoundments are like the wake baits. The southern stuff, I kind of like the paddlers. And, yeah, I don't know why, but just the biggest cod seem to eat surface the most. So, yeah, that's why I like throwing surface because you just generally seem to get the bigger fish on it. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't yeah. you if it catches a big fish? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, mate, what, what? Tell me the story. I always love asking this question. The story of your well, biggest cod or your best catch. Let's say your best catch. It could be your biggest. It might not be. Can you tell me the story of your best cod, Murray cod catch to date? Set the scene. What happened? Where did it all unfold? Um. Yeah. There's two two that were probably the biggest. Um. I don't really know which one was bigger. Um. About the same. One was at uh, Copeton Dam with Jimmy Dayton from Ballista Lures, and it was like one of the years where the surface bite was awesome. All the bait was in like five foot of water, and you just cruise around the lake edge early morning, throw on surface, and you just get smashed every session. Like it was pretty good fishing, and we'd found this um, this island up the back of the dam that had all the coots and the ducks roosting on it yeah. overnight. And we thought, oh, this has got to be a good area. And, um, yeah, we fished it that night, and I had two of the biggest buffs explosions on my wake bait that I've ever seen. Like, they were just massive fish. And then um, one was, like, not long after last light, and then one was at, like, 11 o'clock at night, and neither of them found the hooks. One of them kind of bent uh, my rod over a bit but didn't find the hooks. And then, yeah, I was gutted. Um, and it was nearly our last day. We'd been there four or five days, and... Um, Caught some nice fish, but no massive ones. And then got up, uh, went back for a few hours sleep. I could hardly sleep because I was just thinking about those big ones that I'd missed. And then yeah. we got back up at um, 3 o'clock in the morning and had the big long run up in, through the dark, through all the trees to get back up to where we were. Got up there, prime time. Um, I reckon we were probably only fishing about half an hour and the sun was just starting to come through. And then, yeah, uh, 
just just like a bucket just appeared below my 30 centimeter wake snake like i was using the big wake snake and yeah it just disappeared into this hole and um oh. I, was, I was fishing down the back of the boat jimmy was fishing up the front and he'd kind of electriced me around a tree so it was a big tree in the way and we couldn't really tell how big of a fish it was because it kind of just sucked it in so easy and then we went behind the tree and anyway we electriced out and around and i had him on and then we got straight above him and you could just feel these big powerful head shakes just going whoop 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 and i'm like oh yeah i think this is a good one jimmy and then um yeah after like a couple minutes of it pulling the boat around it came up and we're like well that's a good one and then we got it in the net and it's all it would fit in the biggest environment was just its head and we're like oh this this is a really big one now we're gonna get this in and then we both got on the net and we managed to get in the boat and when we got in the boat it was just like wow this is a good one and um yeah we put a jimmy didn't have his brag mat in buddy jimmy but, um, <laughs> oh man, man you have to, you have to, yeah, keep you don't let him ever forget that. <laughs> yeah, it would never let, let that one down. But, um, we've got a measurement on my rod, and I think that was um 128 on my rod. But wow. yeah, it was a big fat fish that one. And, um, and then the other one I got with Lubin, Lubin doesn't run a brag mat either, so we don't know how big that one was. But yeah, that one was about the same size, that was pretty cool as well. It was just um grinding out on the Murray, you know, nothing the day before, not even a hit. Yeah, doing the exact same stuff the next day, just grinding out again, looking for that big one. Uh, Lubin got one in the morning that was well over the meter, and that was awesome. And then um, later on that Arvo, one grabbed my, that was on a big mumbler, big chatterbait. And yeah, it was a massive fish as well, and the Murray's pretty big down there. And Lubin doesn't use a net, so I've hooked it on one side of the river, and then um, we couldn't get out in the water with it there. So he's electric the whole way across the Murray. Oh, no way. Yeah, and it's just going crazy, like thrashing around and all i've got it by is the one single back hook on the mumbler just by a bit of skin but yeah we got all the way across the river and it all held together and um i jumped out in the water and got a couple of photos with him then let him go but i think that fish was about the same size as well probably around that you know 130 mark or something like that wow wow both, both pretty awesome it's hard to pick which one which one yeah yeah uh, they're, they're bloody awesome stories i love hearing them that's just crazy mate. that's awesome so mate we've got a couple more questions before we finish up i really appreciate your time just quickly what would be your feet sorry your three favorite locations to target trophy size cod Have, could you pick three yeah definitely um the murray river it's hard to go past the murray river like it's just the whole length of it it's got big fish the whole way they've been there forever um, it's all good water. You can always get away from people. You can always, you know, fish where there's other people if you want. Um, it's all good water. You're never wasting your time on the Murray. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in my opinion, there's every big good log on the Murray. There's a big good cod on it. So, you know, that's probably the number one spot. You got to just go have a go. And then number two would probably be Copeton for me. I know a lot of a lot of people have caught a lot of good fish there, and you can kind of just feel when you're on the water there. You know. How many big fish have been caught there? The years when it was good, it was amazing. You could be fishing, and you know the guys fifty meters away would be yahooing and high fiving on first light because they've just got a meter fish. And <laughs> yeah. You think, oh no, it's going to happen here, and then five minutes later, bang, you're on a meter fish, and yeah, it was just amazing to see how many big cod are in that lake. And I think a lot of people have shared a lot of good moments on there, and um, in terms of cod fishing, and yeah, that's probably why. That'd be one of the spots you got to visit as well. In recent years, it hasn't been quite as good, but I think once it gets a good drink again, it'll be back to as good as ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, then probably my third one um, 
would be Gugong Dam. I don't know why I like it. It's just so different to everywhere else. Like like I was saying about um, it's got no carp in it. It doesn't seem to have any bony brim or um, bobby cod or anything that moves close to the surface in winter. So it's so different to everywhere else. Um, and I like that about it. It's just clear water. They're massive fish. They're the fattest cod that I've ever seen. And... Um, yeah, it's just fun to fish somewhere different. So not that it's going to be easy. Like, don't go to Googong thinking that you're going to catch a big cod, but you could catch one there that's an amazing fish. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. It's definitely a tough fishery to fish. But then again, it's totally different. Like, you've got no petrol power. Like, it's all yep. electric. So yep. it basically changes the way you fish anywhere else, really. you got to think differently, I guess. Yeah, that's it. There's like... um. There's no hammering around on first light. Like I know that can, it sometimes annoys me and can sometimes annoy other people as well. Like prime time and someone hammers in, gets in on you in your spot. It's like, yeah, that can't happen at Gugong because everyone's going the same speed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Electric power only. So if if you're ever keen, if any of you guys are out there keen to chase big fish, one of those three places uh, have got good fish and it's worth a visit. Mate. Where to f- now for you? So where to for Colby? You've you know you've done your degree, uni. You love your fishing. You're doing a bit of guiding. Um, what's the plan for the future, mate? Um, I've actually just signed a new contract. Um, starting a new job tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be driving a boat up north, which is not no longer fishing, um, which is good and bad. I'm happy to take a bit of a break from the guiding at the moment and just. Um, knuckle down and earn some money and then i get it's a 28 day on 28 day off job so i get a lot of time to fish myself which i will still do some guiding throughout the year on my 28 days off but yeah it just means a lot a lot more fishing time for myself instead of being away so much guiding and um driving the boat for other people fishing i'll just be doing a lot more fishing myself which is going to be good i'm looking forward to it and hopefully a lot more a lot more riding and a lot more making videos of myself and um yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be a bit of a change, but it should be good. Nice. That'll be good. So 28 days, you've got to produce a whole heap of content and go fishing and just do what you want in that pretty much that whole month before you yep. head back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nice. Um, you, are you, have, you got a, have you got a partner, mate? Uh, yeah, I've got a girlfriend, yeah. So how does how does the 28-day away go uh, in that? It's just long <laughs> distance for 28 days. And then, and then when you get home, how, she's obviously happy for you to go fishing a bit. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty good. She's pretty awesome. Like, um, it's not, nothing new to her, 28 days away at a time. Like, with Nomad, I was away for some months at a time, and I've just been away down with Salty Dog for, yeah, a month at a time. Like, she's pretty used to it. She's pretty understanding. She keeps busy with her own stuff, and, um, yeah, it's good. Hold on to her. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on to her, big fella. Sounds like a good one. Um, mate, so before we finish up, what's your secret to success? Could you Is there one thing that you live by in regards to fishing that you could share with others that would help others? Is there one thing that you do differently? What do you think is your secret to, to catching so many good fish? Oh, I think it's just... Um don't give up and time on the water it's that's that's everything you know even if you can only make it for an hour a day even if you can only you know get down to the local and have a fish for an hour after work just go do it you know you might catch a fish but you'll learn something or you'll get better at casting and then when it comes time to go away for that big trip you know you know how to fish you know how to do it properly and um yeah that's just the time on the water even if you don't get that fish you've been after after a big trip and you've done everything right but you just didn't get him 
nothing's not going to say that you can go there and do the exact same thing for one more day next time and you'll get him so yeah just persistence i think you're always learning even if you don't catch fish you still learn so um yeah it's never a bad trip yeah there you go everyone persistence and always learn even from your bad trips there it is straight from colby the legend thanks mate i really appreciate it thanks for everything you do keep it up keep up sharing even you know this this last week i've been following your your carp catching missions um in your local so just (laughs) keep creating all the content where can people follow you facebook and instagram yeah i've got a um instagram's at, at colby lesko i'll put most of my stuff on there and then I got a Facebook page that's linked into that as well, and um, that's Colby Lesko Fishing. Cool, cool. Everyone, check it out so you can see all of Colby's stuff, mate. I really appreciate the last hour. Thanks for sitting down and having a chat with me, and uh, good luck with your future trips and everything. And um, I'll be talking to you soon, mate. Thanks heaps. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for having me on, mate. And there you have it, guys. What another incredible episode. They're always unique. And this one with Colby, uh, we talked about so many things that I even didn't know about. And I learned so much just from talking to Colby. He is a dedicated angler. And he knows what he's doing because he spends so much time on the water. So he's the perfect man to listen to and absorb information from. Take what he's talked about and apply it to the style of fishing that you do. If you fish the Murray River, if you fish some of those big impoundments, you'll have a massive you know, step above where, what you already knew about those lakes now after listening to a few of the things that Colby talked about. And the, and the key thing I took away from this is fishing bait and imitating the bait. Now, we've talked about that a lot on previous episodes about matching the hatch and using lures that match the bait. And you can hear it again just from a man who has had success doing the same thing, Colby. He does exactly the same. But obviously also that thing about how he fishes the Murray River, his approach for fishing for winter cod and how he does all of that. I really appreciate him jumping on and talking to us and I hope you learnt plenty from this episode. And like I said, there are plenty more awesome episodes coming up soon. Now, I do want to touch on it again, this premiere event. It is coming Wednesday the 25th of March at 7.30 p.m. Make sure you jump on and subscribe to our email list to make sure you get notified of when it will be available. So you can subscribe to our email list by jumping on the homepage of the Social Fishing website, sign up to the email list, and we will notify you when it becomes available. You'll get a link in your email, click on that link, and you will get access to the video. That's the only way you can access this premiere event. It's a one-hour training session on the three principles to success that we have come across Over many years, we've nailed it down to three things. And if you can get these three things right, you will consistently catch fish wherever you go. And that is with myself, Chris, and Talis. And we cover so many cool key things in this one-hour training session. It's a one-time only event. So make sure you check it out. And plus, we have the exciting news of our new project that is coming out. We're going to announce it in this premiere event. So do not miss this video. It's Wednesday, the 25th of March, 7.30 p.m., Continue to follow us on social media and listen to future podcast episodes, but make sure you just jump on our website and sign up to our email list. That's the best thing you can do to make sure you do not miss this. I'll send you out emails notifying you and reminding you of basically when it's coming up, but it's only coming out on that night and it's available at that night, Wednesday, the 25th of March at 7.30 p.m. So jump on, sign up to the email list. If you're already on our email list, you will get notified so you're already ready to go. Uh, And I can't wait to bring it to you. We've got two weeks time, guys. It's going to be very, very exciting. We just love sharing content with you. I can't wait to share this premiere event.
spent with you. Once again, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast, episode 30. We're going strong and we've got plenty more coming up in the future. Thanks for your support, guys. Keep sending through your messages. We love to hear it all. Thanks for tuning in, guys. That's another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast.